one. We have to have our East Asian character not be, not be kind of like, not be a triad or whatever. I mean, I play triads quite well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. We've been dating for over a year now, and I think it's about time people met my beautiful girlfriend. What about us taking an adventure east? Like Queens? Singapore. Colin's wedding. Don't you want to be my family? I hardly know anything about them. Every time I bring them up, they change the Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Riz Test Podcast. With me, Shaf Chowdhury, and unfortunately not Sadi Habib this time. She couldn't make it today, but I promise you she'll be back next episode. Now... Both me and Sadia are doing very well and healthy, and I sincerely hope you are too in this new self-isolated lockdown world we're living in. You know, we're all getting used to working from home, those who are lucky enough to work from home and focusing on work or personal projects and whatnot. Speaking of which, it has been a while since we last spoke. It's been about three or four months. We've both been busy with personal projects. We're both writing written essays for a new forthcoming book i refuse to condemn edited by asim qureshi plug plug uh, but we'll speak about that next time when sadia is back now today we've had the absolute pleasure of speaking with daniel york Lowe, our guest this episode daniel's been on our list for a while now uh, because we've been following his work for a long time and a lot has happened very recently that we wanted to talk to him about now if you don't know daniel york Lowe is a successful scriptwriter, director, actor, author, who is very passionate about championing equal rights for creative East Asians. He's from mixed Chinese and English parentage, dual heritage, and he has been involved with a number of theatre productions that he's either been involved with, written or produced himself. He's written a short play, Song of Four Seasons, um, Fu Manchu, He's also been in his acting career, been involved with huge productions such as Rogue Trader with Ewan McGregor, The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio, um, action film Doom with The Rock and a whole host more. Now, Daniel is a very, very vocal on the activist scene. He's also written a really wonderful essay for the Good Immigrant Anthology, which we'll go into a little bit in the interview. Now, our chat was very wide-ranging, which is really enjoyable. We cover things such as some of the challenges that he has faced getting into the industry, some of the challenges and how and how problematic the term Chinese really is. We talk about that. We talk about the good immigrant. We also talk about, most recently, we talk about QT Guy. So, without further ado, let's jump straight in and let's pick it up with Daniel. How have you found it working at home now with the whole dynamic of self self isolation? I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not the most sociable person. I mean, I, I do go out to the theatre and watch films a lot, which is obviously I can't do that. In terms of work, um, I've got little bits of writing knocking around, so and um, and I, I do voice stuff, which as well. So I'm not. Touch wood, I'm not as badly off as a lot of people in our profession are. Uh, I've not been hit as badly and I feel, you know, quite privileged in that sense, I have to say. Being able to work from home is a privilege and, you know, we're yeah. kind of seeing that right now. I mean, for a lot of the time, the productions will be shut down, right? I mean, they're not, yeah, they're not yeah. going I on. I think it could be a long time. I think we know, we don't know, we don't know when, but I, we could be talking the rest of the year, to be honest. I mean, I just don't know, yeah. And how are how are your friends and um, your colleagues holding up? I mean, there are some people that have been hit very badly. There, there, there's no doubt about it. And I know, I know, there's there's one writer I know, Hannah Khalil, who um, basically lost two shows. I mean, uh, her she wrote a thing called uh, Museum in Baghdad for the Royal Shakespeare Company, which was going to come into the Kiln Theatre. Right, it's gone. She had another play going on at Hampstead. Gone. I mean, that that's kind of tragic for someone like her who's worked really hard over the years to kind of get herself established to, to have two two plays in major venues just fall through like that i mean i mean i look she'll be back she's she's, she's a very talented writer and those companies obviously all want to work with her still so 
but it, it, it's kind of heartbreaking. And, and you, the, the, the difficult thing is, I mean, especially the theatres that a lot of people of colour work in tend to be smaller theatres. Like, like we were just talking online yesterday about like there's all these theatre streaming things that people are doing and, it, and it's great, but it tends to be the big starry kind of West End, Royal Shakespeare Company, National Theatre thing starring famous white people generally because most most famous actors are white right and actual black theater asian theater east asian theater there, there isn't really a lot of that available to stream because what we tend to be in is those smaller venues that don't have the money and where where people are very packed in and also i think those are the theaters that are probably likely to go under because they're losing all their income at the moment and 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 a place like arcola a place like fimbra Theatre 503, I, I, I fear for them and I fear for our whole art sector, to be honest. Well, we'd like to hope to, that there'll be some sort of support for these, for these venues. Yeah, I mean, there needs to be. I mean, there needs to be a universal basic income for a start and there needs to be, I think, the government, and I don't know, trying to be tactful here, whether this particular government is going to be that intuitive about this, but... The arts is a huge factor in British life. It brings an awful lot of money into this country. And they might think that's just the West End, but I mean, that's not, that's all the way down the levels. Do you know what I mean? And, and one of the things we have in, 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 in this country and in London particularly is a very vibrant fringe theatre scene, which enables, and one of the things that London theatre has, which I think is more or less unique, is has this incredible internationalism. On any given night, you could go to the theatre and watch a play set in Nigeria, place set in Mumbai, a place set in, you know, uh, Syria, a place set in a village in China. And you could feel like you're looking at people on the stage who kind of belong in those worlds. Yeah. You know, and that's quite, you know, I'm not even sure New York has, has, has the same kind of thing going as, as, as we do here. And that, that's an extraordinary thing. And I think the government has to realise that that's an important thing and that needs to be preserved. I think the Arts Council kind of get it. But it's how much money the arts council are going to get. Maybe that's maybe that's a good place to start because you cut your teeth very early in your career working with like the Tamasha Theatre, and um, early on in your career with with independent theatres. Yeah. When you first cut your teeth in your career, which was an easier path to 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 go down? Was it the film and TV or was it theatre? Um, I mean, f film and TV is is very difficult for someone like myself. I mean, I think I think for ethnic minorities in general, I think I think I think there are people from ethnic minority backgrounds, particularly East Asian, particularly Chinese and Japanese backgrounds. We think they, they they do very well on TV in terms of they get work, they get paid. But I mean, in the type of work they're doing, I would suggest you're kind of performing your ethnicity a lot of the time. You're 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 you're, you're being a token foreigner, and I think some of those people, tragically, I think they woke wake up one day when they're 36, 37, they realise they haven't actually done that much actual acting. So in terms of being an actual actor, I think you you have to go to the theatre and, and you have to... And it, it's, it was other people of colour that gave me a break. Finally, I've just been... I mean, what I've been doing on my Instagram since we've been in lockdown is I've been finding photographs of production I've been in. I've been putting one up a day and putting little anecdotes about it. And I found, I found my first ever job which was a company called Hack, House of Arts Collective. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, Pav Bansil, who was, was the, the writer. And, and, and Pav, I think, you know, he, he very tragically died a few years ago. And you, you, I get quite emotional talking about him because there was a sense like, like being a mixed race East Asian, I didn't really have anywhere to go. And, and Pav being, you know, a writer. You know, but very edgy, very kind of punk rock, very you know, not 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 flowery, not 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 kind of not kind of Bollywood imitative. I would say very kind of you know edgy. Our sort of basically said, you know, you can come and be in my world, you can be in my family, you can be in my play. Do you know what I mean? And 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 that was uh, an amazing thing for me. And so it's people like Parv, and there was a, a theatre director at the time called Glenn Gui, who who ran a company called Mulan. Who, who gave me some like amazing roles to play. But I mean, the mainstream white industry, you know, and I go from those things and I'd, I'd be back in casting waiting rooms with, with you know, two pages of scripts. Like you're, you're playing, you're playing Mr. Chow and you look, Mr. Chow's got like, <laughs> right. 
in pidgin english and it's it's and you walk through the door and they're expecting a guy from the chinese takeaway and you walk in and you're not you're not you're not what they want you know you you, you it's, it's it's you know and but, but you know i have to say being doing that work got me into places like the royal shakespeare company and the national theater and the royal court it got me into those places you can't be seen anywhere you 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 can't you know you just can't get ahead like that and i see you just literally relying on tv work and one of the problems i think the mainstream industry has when it comes to casting when they do do their east asian play they try to go their normal route which is well who's who's the ones that are on tv a lot who's the ones we know about a lot of time i don't want to be nasty but those, those actors those east asian actors that are on tv technically and experience wise they're not really equipped to go on the stage and play a big meaty duty part they're not because they spent their whole careers perfecting fake Chinese accents and not really doing much, I don't think, not really doing much in terms of characterization, not being too, doing too much in terms of driving the narrative, sitting at the center of the story. So, so there's an odd kind of um, contradiction in that. So it, yeah, it was de definitely a small scale theater that, 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 that saved me at the beginning. That's really interesting. Um, have you seen a Master of None, Aziz Ansari's Master of None? I've seen I've seen bits of it. Yeah, it's very very, it's very yes, it's very perceptive. I would say as well as being very funny. I mean, it's funny because it's perceptive. Yeah, mm. I think there's that famous scene where he's um, he he and his friend who's also Indian American. Yeah, uh, not American Indian, Indian American. Who yeah. um, so they were both auditioning for ta you know Taxi Driver Three or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah and so yeah they have to as you said they're, they're performing rather than acting and it's um it's really interesting that it's a it's a it's a story that's very that that carries across every person of color um and oh. what's what's the, what's interesting about yourself and you you, you just I mean you being of mixed dual heritage um you've described yourself as chinese enough to be stereotyped but not chinese enough for chinese roles and i think that's yeah. really interesting yeah, well, I have issues with the word Chinese, to be honest. I mean, I am of what we would call ethnically Chinese descent, but mm. the, the word Chinese is a loaded one. I mean, the concept of China and Chinese didn't really exist until 100 years ago. It was called, before that, it was called various empire names, the Great the Great Qing, the Great Ming, mm. the Great Tang Dynasty, the Great Yuan Dynasty, and not all of those dynasties were controlled by ethnically Chinese people. Um, there, there, there's this identification now, which is Han Chinese, but that literally means people of the Han Dynasty. So that, that could encompass, if you were around in the Han Dynasty, you'd be a person of the Han Dynasty. It's, it's a really problematic term for something that's the size of a continent. And, and I think the, the, the government there, <laughs> the Chinese Communist Party, have kind of traded in that kind of ownership of the Chinese identity and, and the Chinese racial look. There's this whole thing about yellow skin black hair now the the yellowness thing is a colonial thing anyway i mean i mean when, when people first went to what we call china now they 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 couldn't figure out what color people there were they were called they would call people there white brown olive green right. you okay. know and and the yellow thing came on but if you look at people in in the south of china uh, they're actually a light brown they're an olive where i come from in singapore there's definitely definitely you know we're different we're different generation and, and so there's a whole thing about and being able to portray chineseness for the western for the white western gaze is is a whole thing but i mean because i was known because my first big break i suppose was a play called porcelain which went to the royal court which was about a gay chinese guy that's what i got known as and uh, so i would be going in for those for those parts on and just not being stereotypically chinese enough you know for the white gaze and it's interesting you got now like, like i see people a lot of people big up that film last year farewell by lulu wang mm -hmm. and it's interesting because i think it's a great film as well but the interesting thing about that film is i'm not sure it could have been made that way and that well by anyone other than an asian because you know the way she scripted it the way she's cast it the way she's directed the actors the way everyone there is comfortable in their skin you, you you would never you know and when you look at what goes on in uk tv whenever you see i've got a friend in malaysia i work with uh, an actor called gavin uh, who's myself but 
he sort of says, yeah, whenever I turn on UK TV and I see a Chinese person, I laugh my head off, man. That's not like a Chinese person I've ever seen in my life. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. It's, it's just a kind of bizarre appropriation, uh, an impersonation. Ethnic drag is an expression. Ethnic drag, that's, that's a really yeah. interesting phrase. That's very interesting. There's a professor called Daphne Lay in, 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 in America. She coined that term ethnic drag. You know, I think there's another one, performing ethnicity as well, which... I don't know if that was Anamik Saha. I, I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, give a false citation here. But but yeah, there's various versions of that. Yeah. No, it's 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 fascinating because as you said that the whole notion of quote unquote Chinese, it's it's reductive. Yeah, it's taking it's taking as you said, it's a it's a population the size of a continent and you know yeah. reducing it down to one set of set of characteristics, which is which is you know it's insane when you think about it. And um, and it's done across the board for and it's it's just neat categorizations for every um, ethnicity. You know, it's any any anything to the east of Egypt was probably Oriental, quote yeah. Oriental for for a long time, and um, and so f- from that that that's where you and um, a number of others have um, formed Beats. Do you want to tell yeah. us a little bit more about Beats as to what the advocacy work that you're doing with that? Well, there's been there's been various initiatives down the years because we don't. I mean, I think a lot of us feel for for a long time that that where you would go normally for for artistic leadership, for activist leadership, for campaigning leadership, you would go to. I mean, where 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 the UK media always goes into Chinatown, the business leaders, and they don't represent us. They don't. Or or if it's if it's the Guardian or if it's the Stage newspaper, they they and it's anything to do with the arts, they will go to. An arts council funded, um, what I would call ghetto theatre company, like Yellow Earth Theatre, who do not represent us. I mean, a lot of us feel like that. I, you know, they're, 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 they do what they do, but it's, it's not it's not my thing. So we we wanted to have an ad- advocacy group, and there's been various other ones. There was one, well, there was one imaginatively called for a few years British East Asian Artists, which is kind of still there as a Facebook page and stuff like that. Right. Not really. So a few of us came together to form this thing called Beats, which is British East Asians on screen in the theatre. But really, we've, we've broadened that now. We're saying British East Asian and Southeast Asian because, again, you have to... There's a whole diasporic thing there with, with people from Vietnam, with people from Thailand, with people from Singapore, with people from Malaysia. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 there's lots of... It's a, it's a melting pot. The whole thing's a melting pot. And, and that's not reflective in the arts at all. You know, mm-hmm. it's not. So <clears throat> we basically came together to form an advocacy group and you know we don't get any funding at all but i mean i mean we've done some i would say some really powerful things in terms of campaigns in terms of linking up with people like um screen skill set uh the bfi we're going to do an event with we were going to do an event with but obviously a lot of it got got coroned off you know mm-hmm. so but that's postponement that's not that that, that that'll all happen so we're kind of rolling out mentorship schemes where we're, we're talking to uh, the BFI, you know, trying to highlight British East Asian, Southeast Asian filmmakers, and and with, with the theatre to trying to promote British East Asian, Southeast Asian theatre writers, theatre directors, you know, to create work which 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 platforms us, and also to call out the the almost com- compulsively relentless. <laughs> obsession uh white middle class people usually usually men have with appropriating our culture for their own ends and and deciding that they they're going to be the ones who, who tell you know the, the east asian story on, on stage and screen what, what's what's really interesting is that you've had to lobby about something so fundamental just 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 a term british east asian for that to be yeah. a thing you're really starting with the fundamentals there you're not doing anything you know that's it's shocking how simple i mean it's if i had my way chef we'd all just be asians all of us you me i i think there's a, there's a commonality i feel with with people like yourself that I, I i think that you know we should look for a pan-asian identity there was a season last year at the royal court where i was in a play called parlor which was set in tibet and there's a play called white pearl and there, there was a thing that millie batia was doing called um disrupt the room and they we had a meet and greet at one point and what, what you had in that room was was the power and diversity of Asia. It just was an extraordinary thing and really, really moving. But but yeah, I mean I mean, we were for years, we were Orientals, 
Um, we, we, we were kind of shoehorned out of the word Asian, which, and in the States, that happens to people from Indian and Pakistani backgrounds, and they're shoehorned out. You know, it's almost like for, for, for the white Western mindset, you know, they can't really cope with too much diversity. So they're, okay, okay, okay you, 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 you nominally small group can be Asians. The rest of you are just going to be weird kind of other people. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's, it's like my, my, my friend in uh, Singapore, Chong Sejian, is with him. He said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're not even Asian. We're from Far East. I mean, I mean, the term Far East is, 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 is weird. I mean, far, far from where? Far from here, yeah. But if you're, <laughs> you know, if you're in India, it's not that far. You know what I mean? It's, it's the next thing along. You know, it's just like, you know, it's inherently colonial, inherently Eurocentric, and deeply problematic. And and we, we we have struggled with terminology. And you still get you still get East Asian people going, "Oh, but I'm an Oriental." And it's like, did you realize how dehumanized that term? Running this project, the risk test project, whenever I speak to a person of color, professional in the industry, there's there's very little explaining I need to do. They get it straight away. And yeah. that's not saying that. You know, people who aren't, you know, you know, white professionals don't get it. They do, but there's an inherent, yeah, we completely get it because we've lived it. Yeah. And um, that being said, as as you've said that, there's there's a shared identity, but at the same time, there's nuance that that's important. Although our heritage is all Asian, but our the nuance in our identi- identity is, is is different, and that's important. And moving yeah. and moving the needle from quote unquote Oriental to some dis- some distinction between you know you know the the the, the rich the rich um, uh, diversity that we have. Um, more recently, very recently, you were working um, and lobbying um, against and and working with the producers of Living with the Lambs. Yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the why Beats got involved and what 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 change you've been able to affect? Well, Living with the Lambs was. Um... It's a children's sitcom. That was the idea. It was about a British Chinese family. And it was all concocted by white people. I mean, it was absolutely extraordinary. And it was a kind of white person's idea of what a Chinese restaurant family was. Um, we They did try and engage some British East Asian writers, but they were to be they were to be part of the writers' room, but on the basis that they were junior, like trainees, and cultural consultants, which has got to be one of my favourite expressions of all of all time. I think we've all, you know, they, they were there to advise on the authenticity of of that experience, but but not to actually create it, not to actually have ownership of it, not to not to be central in it, in its in its realization at all, and the the. The idea was that, you know, there were no experienced enough British East Asian writers, which I, I don't, I mean, people either write things or they don't. I don't know where the experience comes in. Somebody's got to give you a break sometimes. Some, at some point, you have to just do it. And it turned out that the, the, the showrunner they had running it wasn't all that experienced themselves. They, they, they were, you know, and, and somebody pulled up an interview online with them when they, went, when they had written one um once some episodes in a in a children's tv series where they went oh because i hadn't done it before i was just kind of scared about getting it wrong and i was thinking well you had that privilege you know you had that privilege yeah, to sit there and think, well, it, you know so and because british east asian writers had been in and had read the series bible um the the, the pitching document and, and it, it was absolutely horrendous there was kind of there was there was jokes in there about like the the, the male father the father role he had in his youth he'd played in a band called walk and roll oh gosh there was there was the the, the granny character was spitting all over the floor and you know and it, it just was like one hoary list of horrendous cliches so we kind of tried to engage with them privately and when that didn't and it generally doesn't i have to say with with with, with mainstream gatekeepers they generally don't want to talk to you privately they, they just mm-hmm. So we went at them publicly and it got, it all went viral. I think it's become a kind of um, course scenario in the industry now. I think, I think people would, you know, we'll talk about living with the lambs and they go, oh God, you know, we, we don't want to. And, and interestingly, in some of the conversations, uh, the, the defensive producers cited an instance of a, of a show that was on about 10 years ago called Spirit Warriors, which 
at the time I said, this is awful. And everyone got very angry with me. Everyone said, you've been very negative, Dan, you know what I mean? <laughs> and now apparently in, inside BBC production company circles, they say, well, look, we really don't want another Spirit Warriors, do we? <laughs> and, and they blame the British, the British Chinese creator of that, which, you know, I don't, you know, it was a white production team that executed it. It was mainly white writers that wrote it. It was mainly, it was white directors, or completely white directors, directed, you know, cast it, all that kind of stuff, you know. So that's a bit disingenuous, I have to say. But but it's it's interesting that the things they rigorously defend, in 10 years' time, they'll be going, ooh, we really don't want to be doing that. No, it's it's fascinating because, as you said earlier about the cultural co uh, consultant role, oftentimes <laughs> we, we, when what we've heard from, from so many professionals on screen and off screen is that these cultural um, consultants are brought in as a, a way to kind of cultural wash any uh, responsibility and absolve that responsibility yeah. because, look, look, we've, we've got... We've got Dan. We spoke to Dan. He said it was okay. Yeah, so yeah. he, you know, by proxy, you're representative of all quote unquote Chinese, British, Asian, East Asian, which, you know, which is a horrendous responsibility. I mean, you, you know, there 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 are, there are 1.34 billion Chinese people in China. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can't speak for that slab of humanity, and we, we need, need to we need to stop that. And there are certain people who kind of welcome that role. They think it's very responsible, and they. It's a funding route as well. Um, um, Benjamin Zephaniah talks about beneficiaries of the race industry. There is a race industry where people actually depend on that for their grant money to say, look, I'm, I'm providing a, a valuable kind of thing here where I, where I represent. It's completely bogus and it ties into that whole kind of monolithic idea of what China... Then they literally will sit there and say, no Chinese person would ever do that. Chinese people don't do this. Chinese people don't do that. It's completely mad. I can't even, it's just really the strangest thing. And you, the, the, the trouble is, and I said this to one person who, who was briefly engaged in that role before they suddenly, they realized when I'm not going there. I said, you'll be wheeled out as a cape for them. They'll say, well, look, we, we, had, we, had, we had Daniel on it. You know, Daniel, Daniel advised us. And see, you'll be there going, well, that bit where they put the dumplings in the oven, um, I, you know, I, I, I justified <laughs> that on the basis. You, you know, it, it's it's just no position to be in, and, and, and I would advise anyone to avoid that at all costs. Dan, you you've you've spent you know you you've you've built your career up and you've you know you've written theatre, you've written some huge Hollywood um, you know blockbusters. Uh, opposite Leonardo DiCaprio, you've worked opposite Ewan McGregor and all of those big names, and everything. Have you found that you've have you felt at least? that you by speaking out about these topics and issues have you felt a weight of um what's the word i'm looking for have you felt penalized quote unquote penalized or looked down upon because of you've got an active and vocal voice I, i'd be a liar if i said that doesn't happen and i know a lot of actors and writers and people in the arts are very very scared of that and i would be disingenuous of me to sit here and say that's never happened because it the vocal, the vocal minority, and be 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 that women in all male workplaces, be that an ethnic minority, be that a trans person, be that a gay person, be that you know, the vocal, the vocal one is targeted. There's no doubt about that. You you become labelled as a troublemaker, quote unquote. However, I think it probably works just as well the other way because there are a lot of other people who see that and they go, oh, I like that. I want a bit of that. And yeah, and, and and if you're if you're just there as a supine submissive presence, I, I I worry about I wonder about what what kind of you will achieve artistically. The work that you that you've done with with not only the advocacy outside of bees but also with bees, you kind of you, you, it's to seek improvement in the industry and to kind of pave a yeah. path for, for for and throw the ladder down to to the next generation of of creatives and you know on screen and off screen. And I think that's really mm. important. And we've seen people like, um, you know, Riz Ahmed, who we, we named the, yeah. the test after, and he's doing a great deal of, um, you know, activism work. He's, he's always been involved with activism before he, you know, kind of became yeah. a household name. And uh, we'll get onto the Good Immigrant book in a second. But in terms of people like Gus Khan as well, who with Man oh, Like yeah, Mabee, gosh, yeah. he, he's been he's been really great in terms of, 
not only is the show hilarious and it's very authentic because it's written and produced yeah, by sure. uh, people of color um but you know he he's kind of thrown down the ladder because he, he he takes on apprentices to work on the show you yeah. know from underrepresented uh minorities and whatnot so it's it's it's, it's a kind of across the board kind of um approach no i completely agree and and guz guz is also very outspoken i mean you know he's, his twitter is, is very very enjoyable i i would say if there's one thing that really disappoints me about uh british East stations in the arts um you know the, the 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 very successful ones in terms of career in terms of money in terms of benedict wong Gemma chan i it does upset me when i look at people like riz you're right, he does a lot. He absolutely does a lot. He, he's very, very big on his community and how they should be, have opportunities. Very big, Gus. I, I sort of heard a, an interview with Adrian Lester where, where, he, where they were interviewing him in, in Hackney Empire with, 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 with a bunch of black school kids. And he was basically sat there talking to them about, you know, about not only being an actor, about their lives, about, about knife crime, about, I mean, it was just so powerful and so connected. And I, I look at our lot, and I think I just don't, I don't see any of that, and that that upsets me. I, I don't know why that is. I mean, I've got theories about it. I think I think there's a certain type of thing with, I think I, I can only speak now as someone who's ethnically Chinese. I think we're inculcated with the idea, and this comes from, you know, authoritarian regimes that we lived. We're a brutalized people. You know, for thousands of years we lived under these kind of like authoritarian structures where we're, we're basically given the idea there's a lot of you and you don't really count as individuals so you best knuckle down and, and if and if you can escape from that seething mass of anonymized humanity you've done well and you best just look after yourself and also the way east asian migration has worked coming into this country we don't live in communities like 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 Black African Caribbeans or like South Asians, we we don't we don't the the tendency with 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 Chinese incoming immigrants is actually to get as far away from each other as possible because you know you want to be the only Chinese takeaway you want to be the you know and people forget that now we're known as this kind of middle class model minority now yes. whereas I, I think I think initially the the wave was very very working class poor people looking to get on and Chinese food in Britain was invented by sailors who jumped ship you know that's that's why it's like like spring rolls and chop suey it's just everything on the walk you know it, it, it was men, men it was men who couldn't cook who invented this you know there's an inherent myth around chinese people that we're good cooks absolutely not true <laughs> chinese chinese takeaway food was invented by men who couldn't cook right. and so there's this kind of we're, we're, we're kind of inculcated with the idea that our success and our survival even more even more primarily our survival is predicated on our 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 compliance and our unique singularity if like if we can just keep it to i'm the only one through the door i won't make too much trouble i'll do quite well here and in and i'm not that's not what i'm about i'm about let's kick the trap door open let's pull everyone up in yeah. the same way i think riz yeah. is the same way gus khan is the same way i think idris elba is or adrian Lester, any of those people yeah i mean i think you touched upon it there that a lot of the way that people see themselves is through the lens that like the colonial lens and that's and you kind of went and you know that that has for a great deal been internalized and that's across every um diaspora and that, and that come from you know indian uh british indians and british pakistanis and you yeah. know, it's, it's a great deal of i mean the fact that you know um fair skin is idealized and you know you've got products such as oh. fair and lovely and whatnot so i think that's very deeply internalized so it's not so much of it's Although it's a problem and it's still a problem, and you know, although people are still kind of people are kind of waking up to the fact that this isn't right, and we're kind of, and this is ideals that are being imposed upon us rather than you know actually being you know um, uh, desirable or whatever it is. It is, it is. There's a legacy of colonialism there that that, that has been internalized. Yeah, I'd say what I really um, who, who I think is excellent is um, is uh, I think. Uh, I, I'm hoping that I pronounce this correctly. It's it's Ronnie Cheng. Um, he's a writer yeah. for the Daily Show who did the the Netflix special. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the Netflix special? Um, I've seen I've seen various things Ronnie's done. I mean, yeah, yeah I like his I like his way. He's very funny, and he's very sharp. I I I tend to think I think Ronnie's Australian. 
Yeah, I think, I think yeah, I think Australia, can, Malaysian. Yeah. I think. Uh, okay, what they have in uh, America and Australia, I, I think, and Canada to an extent as well. They have far more kind of. They, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've been there, but if you go to America, that what, what, what we, we call it Chinatown here is it's basically just a restaurant tourist hub. It's not what they have in America. They have Chinatown, J Town, Koreatown. They, they are proper communities. There, there's like hardware stores. There, there's there's hairdressing salons. There, there's there's plumbers. There's you know what I mean. There's I mean I, I drove through Chinatown, J Town in, in in Los Angeles. They're huge. They, you know, so they have this much more. And it's interesting. The, the term Asian American was actually initially an activist term to bring everyone together. Because before that, they were very much Chinese Americans and Japanese Americans. They very much were represented by model minority representative boards. And Asian American was like, we have to come together and we have to fight for our rights and find common cause with black people, you know what I mean, and, and, and other oppressed minorities. Um, so they have much more of that. They have much more. I mean, one of the things, I mean, Crazy Rich Asians, um, one of the things that Constance Wu, who, um, you know, she was very, very big in selling that film on Twitter to the community. She was very, that we're doing this for you guys. Whether that's sincere or not, it's still, it's still, you know, a powerful message. And and so they, they're very much more community minded, I think. And I think someone like Ronnie definitely, yeah, definitely. Do you, do you think it was a watershed moment, like everyone says, because it, it's kind of perceived to be such as, yeah. you know, Black Panther, you know, was seen as a bit of a watershed moment that not only a film that represents and it celebrated as such. Was Crazy Rich Asians similar? Did it have a similar effect? It's, okay, I've got, on one hand it is, there's no doubt about it. On the other hand, it's a deeply problematic film. Um, problematic in the sense that it, it, it sino washes Singapore. Singapore is actually a very diverse place. There's, you know, there's Malays there, there's Indians, do you know what I mean? There's Tamil speaking Indians. You know, there's four national languages in Singapore, English, Mandarin, Malay, and Tamil. Um, there's there's a horrendous scene where the only Indians you see in it are these two. I mean, I can't. I mean, it's it's as racist as any white person could get in that portrayal, and it, that upsets me because you know I work in Singapore a lot, and I work with the theatre community there, and I work with Indians and Malays there, and you, you know, that's they're a big part of Singapore life. They're a big part of Singapore culture, and to see them kind of reduce that stereotype is horrible. So it's not. On, on, so on one hand, it's a problematic film. On the other hand, though, it is no doubt absolutely a, a millstone because you have actors of East Asian descent acting in English in a romantic comedy in, in, in an unashamedly colourful, glamorous, kind of high, high, what's the word? Very stylish kind of, you know, he he's a good director, John Chu. He's kind of aiming for that kind of old-fashioned Hollywood in many ways, but he's doing it with East Asian people, and they're central to the narrative. And, and nobody's being a, a silly foreigner. Um, and he did resist a lot of pressure, apparently, to pass the prejudice to the white white girl. And so, in that sense, you have to you have to say it's a huge moment. It, it's kind of epochal. There's no doubt about it. It's massive. It's it's interesting how. Um... Black Panther, Crazy Rich Asians, they they carry a lot of pressure because yeah. it's um, it's impossible to put all of your hopes and dreams upon one director and one film to get it all right, the whole thing right. Uh, I mean, Black Panther. I mean, I loved it; it was great. Yeah. Um, but it you know it did throw Muslims under the bus in one scene, yeah. and <laughs> so it was problematic. But I still enjoyed it. But it was problematic for that reason. But at the same time, there's arguments to be made that yes, it was a milestone. Both of the films are milestones, but at the same time. You know the problematic, but but the added element of it, it, it's impossible to carry the weight of everyone's yeah. expectations, and and what really once there are ten versions of Crazy Rich Asians yeah. and ten versions of Black Panther in whichever genre, I think that's when we can probably have a, a deeper and more nuanced conversation. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, there's an expression, there's an Asian American expression which goes around Asian American creators, and it's, it's the rep sweats. Right. You know, I, I get the rep sweats, you know, I'm repping, so I'm sweating with anxiety, you know, I've got to get this right. And I've certainly felt rep sweats a lot. I mean, every time you go on stage here, you're kind of carrying that burden, like, I need to be good here, you know. Okay, there's a thing that goes around in our community, right? There's people, there's people actually put this on their CV. I was the first ever British Chinese 
this, the first ever British Chinese to pick their nose in the Royal Court foyer. And apparently I was the first ever British Chinese to do a couple of things, but I don't put them there because my, my, my kind of thing is, like, look, don't worry about being the first, just make sure you're not the last. <laughs> That's a terrible burden to bear. There, 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 there's no doubt about it. And, and you, you actually, there's no one, anyone, there's no way that any one film can do that, any one creative. And it's like when things are in isolation, I mean, and Crazy Rich Asians are very good, a very good uh, example of that because there's a character in that, Aquafina's brother, who is the kind of sex pest repulsive geek who, who is the staple in a lot of American films of East Asian characterization. But because he's one of, lot, of a whole cast of East Asians, and there's a lot of other very attractive, charismatic East Asian characters in the film, he gen genuinely does become funny because he's not, you know, you're not painfully aware of him walking on every time, going, oh no, God, here we go. It's, 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 like, it's like the Muslim terrorist. You can have a Muslim terrorist in a whole film full of Muslims, you know, you, but, but it's when there's, the only character is the Muslim terrorist, you just go, oh, oh please don't do that. Exactly. And I think, I think that's, uh, I mean, it's funny you talk with the reps where it's, that's hilarious. I've not heard that term before. Yeah, but in, but cool. in, in terms of um, what you've said, in terms of, you know, what we're doing with the risk test, is not we don't want every Muslim in every film to be a hero, right? Because no, no. you know we we know I know then we're not all heroes, right? We want, <laughs> we want we want we want to have a nuanced character with nuance and you know with a flawed yeah. character. We want when I mean, there are lots of irritating Muslims. I know. I mean, I I'm one, right? So <laughs> so 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 it's 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 okay to have that, but we're not advocating that. What we want is human representations, yeah. and not for the only rep the only Muslim characters to have the bomb strapped around their waist and um, that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm someone. I, I'm someone who plays a lot of villains. I have to say that's kind of like. So I, I think I've suffered in that. You know, when people have tried to be politically correct, say, and well, we have to have our East Asian character not be, not be kind of like, not be a triad or whatever. I mean, I play triads quite well. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I kind of, but, but, but again, again, you know, and, and, and there's a cliche that, that, that a lot of our less popular activists have done, which is, oh, we're fed up with playing triads and waiters. Well, you know, the triad could be a fantastic role. The, the, the waitress, the Chinese waiter could be an amazing role. The Chinese prostitute could be an amazing character if, if she's the center of the narrative. But but you know so so no you 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 don't want everyone because in a way that that that's completely disempowering as well because you become these kind of like half humans who can only be cuddly and, and can only be gentle and and and, and are, are robbed of the, the the entire spectrum of the human experience is we all have a capacity for enormous evil you know and one of the things as well I, I mean one of the best things I I ever saw on TV well, there, there was a, there was a TV drama about about the the nine eleven where, where the 9-11, where, 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 where the bombers were the centre of the narrative. And I thought some of the actors in that were extraordinary. They, they probably should have won awards, but because no one could pronounce their names, of course they didn't. It's, it's just a shame how, the, 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 how reductive the industry really sees people of colour and their minorities. And, you know, and, and, yeah. and, it's, um, and it's really born of, 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 um, of frustration, I think. I mean, and I think one of the examples that we, that we give... Uh, which kind of divides opinion is um, Four Lions, yeah. and, and um, it's it's a very beloved film to um, to, to Muslims and specifically yeah. to to you know Pakistani uh, British Pakistanis because Chris Morris the amount of research that went into that film yeah. was was unreal and that was really evident on on screen and um, uh, you know it, it's a, it's it's there are some jokes in that film that you think you couldn't have ever known that unless you were a Muslim or you grew up Muslims yeah. or you researched it to the nth degree and yeah. I think it's uh, but then again people also say look no four lines fails because to the letter of the the test Muslims yeah. are represented as, as so it's it's an interesting one but personally I think it passes because it's satire and it kind of it plays upon you know um, certain tropes and whatnot I mean I, I I think it's a brilliant film as well and interestingly the, the fact that Chris Morris is a white man who's not a Muslim. Actually, it does, and this is this is how difficult it gets. He shows that actually he there are white people who can do that. The trouble is, every too many white people think they can do it <laughs> <laughs> without really, you know. And I, I think he's someone who probably took it on, thinking, right, I'm going to do this. If I'm going to do this, I got to do this really, really, really well. And and, and he did. He, you know, he had his own rep sweats, I suppose. You know what I mean? <laughs>
yeah, but but I I think it's a brilliant film. I am nice. Um, so you contributed to the Good Immigrant, mm. which is the collection of essays by Nika Shukla, and um, your essay is. Is, is I mean, first of all, it's brilliant. It's really great. And not only did I read it, but I've, I've got an audio book as well. So um, it was great because the audio book, I mean, as you know, each actor yeah. it, um, you know recorded their own part. So it, was, it, it became a very personal, um, you know, project. Um, what, how, how did you get involved with that project? Is that because because um, you and a number of others, like Riz Ahmed contributed his essay and, yeah. and a bunch of others, um, how did you get involved with that project? Was it because you were an activist in that space or um, how did that happen? Do you know, I, I was, there's, there's a girl called Elaine Wong who's, uh, she's a film producer and she works, uh, she works like on film festivals and stuff. And she, she knew Nikesh and he was putting it together. And I don't quite know how they met or got talking, but she said to me, you haven't got any stations in this. And, he, you know, Nikesh being, being, you know, he's a great guy. And he went, oh God, yeah. And she recommended me and I sent him my play through the Fu Manchu complex. And he got back to me the next day, said, I want you in this book, mm-hmm. which was really kind of like touching. And But I didn't know it was going to be the big thing it was going to be then, I had no idea. And I, I'd never written in that style before. I'd, ne- I'd only ever written scripts and, and a few articles I'd never written in that. And, and, and I was kind of digging and I thought, what can I write about? And that, that, that came into my head and I just wrote it all down. And Nick Esch worked with me, I did two, three drafts and that was it. And it, the whole thing took off, it was just extraordinary, yeah. No, it's a, I mean, it's a really wonderful, wonderful essay. And, you know, without giving away too much for those who haven't read it, I think, I think enough time has passed to talk about it, you know, without yeah, yeah, people getting, so. um, but essentially, you know, the crux of it is you seeing uh, Kendo Nagasaki, <laughs> um, which for the younger listeners, <laughs> he was um, old school wrestling in the UK. Yeah, he was like the, yeah. the super villain. And he was this, um, he was touted as this, you know, oriental, quote unquote, oriental uh, wrestler who, who wore a mask, who never took it off. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> well, I mean, Kendo was absolutely real. And you look at that name for a start, you think, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> and, you know, a lot of it is about Britain in the 70s. That, that, that I grew up in the 70s. That's kind of regarded as a hinterland for a lot of, Brexit people, a lot of, you know, Nigel Farage's, you know, the age before political correctness was so much better than, you know, we were freer, we were happier. No, mate, you, 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 you had hair, you know, you were vaguely <laughs> handsome, Mars bars cost tuppence, you know what I mean? You know, that's what, I mean, so it was basically, and what I used to do was watch the wrestling and, and the wrestling in those days was an extraordinary thing. I mean, it's sheer pantomime, you know? Yeah. But I, I, as I say in the essay, I don't really want to say this because there are wrestlers who, go, who say, oh, I'll put you in a headlock. And we'll, no, 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 I'm, not, I'm not, look, 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 it's real, it's real. Oh, right. <laughs> so, you know, the, the idea of the masked wrestler was, Kendo was, it's known in the wrestling world as a heel. A heel is, is there to antagonize opponents, antagonize, antagonize the crowd, particularly, you know, you're supposed to be shouting at them, wanting to lose. And because he was the only representation i saw on tv i started i started enjoying him not being beaten because there are in the western world there's recurrent heels you know the recurrent villains who, who never get beaten uh, you know and the day they do get beaten is, is a wonderful moment for everybody where where the, where the great the great evil force has been vanquished you know but, but there, i mean and, and i think it's affectionate you know they're there to be they, you know you love to hate them but with, with Kendo and with a few wrestlers of colour at that time, there was there was an element of genuine race hate there. You know, you, when the crowd were baiting that particular wrestler, they weren't just baiting a villain; they were baiting a racialized villain. But as we, you know, I, I don't. I mean, I think it's fair. I, I would say the ending is quite easy to spot. But let's just say Kendo's not quite what we we you know what, not quite what he seems to be. I would urge anyone who hasn't read it please do get yourself a copy and get it read. It's such an enjoyable read. Um, not only for your, but the, every essay in it is, oh, no, is absolutely it's, fascinating. It's some amazing um, writers in there. I mean, you, you know, Riz is in there, Coco Khan, Selena Godden, um, uh, Vinay Patel. I mean, it's just a whole Wayman camp. There's a whole load of them, you know, and it's, I didn't know that the, the audio book, we were given, uh, we were given the option. We could get an actor or we could read it ourselves. And I thought, you know, I do do audio books. I thought I'm reading my own. I think everyone everyone opted to read them themselves in the end. I think, and I think that's 
that's kind of important because it's everyone's personal voice and, and you know and everyone in it is is but a lot of them are brilliant performers as well like selena and riz you know obviously you know selena's a spoken word poet you know and it needs their voice really it's their stories it would be remiss of me and you not to yeah. talk about what happened with equity and the equity yeah. bme and someone we shall refer to as the qt guy <laughs> the QT guy, yeah, yeah. The QT yeah. guy. So um, I'm going to let you tell me about what happened with Equity, the QT guy, and Equity BME. Well, the, the QT guy is um, the, the the scion of a, a famous acting, an acting dynasty, in fact, let's be fair. You know, he's, and he, for some unknown, I can't really see why he was on BBC Question Time. Bizarre. I don't know. I don't know why he'd get asked, and I don't know why he'd want to do it. Frankly, but he did, and he took upon it. He took it upon himself when a, a woman in the audience. They were talking about Meghan Markle, and there was a woman in the audience, a woman of colour, mixed race black woman called Rachel Boyle, who basically was talking about the racism in the in the British press regarding Meghan Markle, and he kind of shouted across her, "No, that's not. That's not. You can't call it that." And he said, "People, people going on about racism all the time. It's starting to get boring now." But at the same time, he said it's dangerous because things like the Manchester grooming scandal come out of people being too scared to be racist. So, mate, it's either boring or it's serious. And if you're going to talk about things like the Manchester grooming scandal, you need you need to take that seriously. You know. And then she sort of she sort of said the dread words. Look, you as a privileged white male, and she didn't get any further than that. And he kind of shouted across it, saying, "You can't, you know." That, oh, that's what I am. I can't help it. That's racist. You're a racist. So at the same time. In the breath of 30 seconds, it's like people going about racism too much, but I'm going to tell you what is racist. So, so I, I found that thoroughly objectionable, you know, personally. And I, I talked to our committee, which was at the time called the Minority Ethnic Members Committee, but I'll refer to it as what, what we changed the name to, which is the Race Equality Committee. Yeah. But that's just, 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 just to kind of clarify, that's, that's part of the equity group, right? That's, so just to kind of, for those who don't know. Well, this is one of the confusions about it and, and, and QT Guy's narrative built around it was was completely warped uh the race equality committee is elected by people equity members in other words actors stage managers performers fire eaters whatever who are of minority ethnic background they're the only people who should be voting for the minority ethnic committee so we are voted on by i would think probably a few hundred members in a membership of forty-eight thousand. so we were representing our membership and so we issued some tweets representing and i think looking at the reaction since we were bang on in what we thought we said as far as we're concerned he's a disgrace and we think equity members should denounce his conduct on that program this is somehow this is this somehow transmogrified into equity the trade union has set its members on duty guy duty guy has been libeled I mean, I, look, I'm not an expert on libel. To me, libel is a statement of fact. You say, this is a fact. We were saying, in our opinion, that's what he did. In our opinion. As far as I'm concerned, under the free speech rules, we're entirely, uh, we're entirely allowed to. If he can pejoratively shout at a woman in the audience, you're a racist, then I don't see why we can't say, in our opinion, you're a disgrace, mate. That's, that's it. So it became a whole kind of course to there and um, some lawyers got involved and equity, the major trade union, and ended up issuing him an apology, which we didn't agree with. So as a committee, we resigned. Five minutes after that statement went out, we, we resigned on that because we just said, like, we're, we're not, you're not doing that in our name. I mean, you can do it if you want. It's up to you. Not, not in my name. I'm not having it. And I'm very glad we did that because the fallout since has been unbelievable. And, and I would hate to be on that committee now, as you know, and, and I did. I did get absolutely bombarded by his followers for a good five days afterwards. And I don't look. Look, I, I don't. I don't. I'm not bothered by that. I know a lot of people get very upset. People shouting them and calling them names. But personally, what people who don't know me and don't know anything about me say to me, that doesn't affect me. To be honest, I mean, it, it's tedious, and and you look at it and you think that's vicious, and a lot of it's moronic. But I don't personally. I'm not upset and. Look, look, I'm there. You take pot shots at me if you want. But, I mean, you don't really know what you're talking about. Fine. I find some of it quite funny. But, you know, I did absolutely get bombarded by, by, by QT guys' followers. And 
had I been the one sat there going, yeah, well, we did that and we were wrong, that would have been just horrendous. Because the thing I said to, to Equity, and, and I've been born right by this, as you win no fans by doing that, because he and his followers are never going to turn around and say, Equity did a brilliant thing there. They, they were wrong. They're never going to do that. As, they, as far as they see it, Equity is still a left-wing lovies club, but they're a left-wing lovies club that have been bought to heal by the might of the powerful white man. That yeah. that's not a badge you you want. And um, and what I know you've you've kind of covered a lot of the uh, the trolls that have come after you, you know, mm. on the back of all of that. And and as you said, you know, you've kind of dealt with it with with, with humor. I've been you know, I was watched, you know, I was following you on Twitter, and and you know, you kind of it became quite a funny kind of thread that you were kind of you know <laughs> it, it became really interesting how you're dealing with it. Um, what levels of support have you had from the wider equity community? Um. From some of the members of the equity council and from some other equity members, branch secretaries and stuff have been incredibly supportive and very, very angry on our, on our behalf and on my behalf. Um, the equity staff and senior officers, I have to say, are a gross disappointment. I mean, they've not been in touch at all with our committee since we resigned, with me personally. There's two equalities officers who, who, who've, who've talked to all of us and, you know, they're very sincere about it. but. The, the, the senior management team at Equity, the, and considering one of the things they put in their statement, which was a ludicrous, which, which drew a lot of attention, was both Equity and Lawrence Fox unequivocally condemn prejudice and discrimination of all kinds. I mean, you, don't, you haven't got anything to say about that? You haven't got anything to say about my Twitter feed? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just... You know, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, apparently they want to do a big kind of internal investigation on where they've got it wrong regarding race and discrimination. I mean, I would say the answers are fairly obvious, but I, I think there's a long way back for them. And we are in a situation now where there was a, a Zoom meeting with your colleagues the other day where that subject was, everyone wanted to talk about that subject. It, it, it was difficult for it to be discussed. It got shut down and, and, and the discussion of that incident gets shut down a lot with equity going, we're fearful of more legal action. Now, for a, for a supposed free speech warrior like QT guy yeah. <laughs> to exercise that form of dominance and control is, I mean, on one level, it's astonishingly hypocritical. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I, th I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with look, um, if what they thought was going to be achieved with the apology was yeah. never going to be achieved, and no. if anything, you you you're validating a certain point of view. I think um, so. And you know, um, you know, feel free to respond to this or to not to respond yeah. to this, but um, but I think in many ways was that legal action brought from QT guy because. He, there's a sudden realization that hang on, I'm probably going to be, you know, uh, sent to Coventry from the rest of the industry, and and you know, I probably yeah. will be um, find it difficult finding finding work in this industry again, given that you know he has been adopted by these a certain demographic out there as their yeah. spokesperson. Was it? I mean, I think. You see, on the one hand, that, that was one of his big things, you know, the, the, they, 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 um, equity have kind of been out to get me blacklisted and lose me work. On the other hand, he often, he often bragged on Twitter like, thank you, my wonderful trolls, because you, 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 I'm making so much money now. So I don't know what the real story with, with that is. Um, I do think he's, he's, he's attracted a certain type of follower on Twitter, usually, usually men, usually with 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 flags in their, in their profiles. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, flags of flags of Syrian Syrian saints and uh, and, and, and <laughs> French kings who who never came to England. Yeah, you know, are those people passionate about the arts? I don't know. Are they going to buy his records? Are they going to Are they going to watch him play Hamlet at the Young Vic? Are they? I don't know. I, I don't know of any of that. So I, I do think there possibly was in, in extracting the apology from equity. I, I think there maybe was a sense of wanting some sort of valid, you know, validation from you, you do. I mean, if you're going to be an artist, at some point you have to appeal to the, 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 
quote unquote liberal mentality. You know, I, I, know. Mm-hmm. I, I know there have been there have been some very talented artists in, in years gone by, who've been extremely right wing and you know some outrageous views. But I, I think in the modern world, it's quite tough. I think it's quite tough to do that mm-hmm. um, because it's become a, a you know humanistic thing. And I, I yeah, I, 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 you know, I think, it, and I, I don't for that reason. I'm not sure it's been as successful as he would have liked it to have been because mm-hmm. it's just you know, and and I, he's still raging at equity on Twitter now. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. But I think I think we've probably given him um, quite a lot of <laughs> airtime already, haven't we? Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> hopefully not got ourselves in trouble. <laughs> um, yeah. mean it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's all of that usual disclaimers apply. Um, but I've had a really, really, really great time chatting with you, Daniel. I think it's yeah, been really insightful. And I've learned tons. I've genuinely learned a lot from talking to you. I think it's been great. Um, one, one thing that we do ask everyone is, um, is there a film in your from childhood or from, from a, a contemporary example or, or a show or, or, or a theatre uh, production that, that you love, that really res- resonates with you? I mean, I mean, what is that? And, and just, just tell us a little bit why about why. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to pick one, I suppose. but. But there's a there's a film called Farewell My Concubine, which is uh, by a Chinese filmmaker. It's known as a fifth generation Chinese filmmakers, Zhang Yimou, Chiang Kai Ge, um, people like that. And there's a film called Farewell My Concubine. The tragedy about Chiang Kai Ge is now he makes patriotic films for the government, but then he was really kind of cutting edge and making films about, you know, really disturbing and traumatic times in in in. Chinese history and Fell on My Concubine is a, is a, is a story about two opera performers um, who are, you know, kind of in love with each other. It's two men, do you know what I mean? But there's a woman that comes between them and, and it takes in a whole load of recent Chinese history. It goes right through the kind of cultural revolution and everything. And it's, I mean, a heartbreakingly moving film. Maybe with so much style and panache. I mean, I wrote this. I wrote this thing. I mean, I did this. I wrote this show, uh, which went on at Southbank Centre uh, earlier this year. And we hope it can come back. The show was called The Invisible Harmony. But basically, there were di- different sections in it of my kind of poetry, and it's told through a dance from a spoken word performer. And the, the, one of the main lead motifs is, is "Who Killed the Chinese Picture Show," which is a kind of spoken word poem I wrote. Because you know, there's so much censorship in 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 the, in the People's Republic of China now, and, and I always feel that East Asians were under the gun of censorship all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was a pivotal moment. I'm being in London at drama school, feeling very lonely. I have to say, you know, going down to Leicester Square, huge screen. They used to show those films on huge screens, and just being sat there in that cinema on a Saturday night, cold winter's night, just being completely mesmerised and swept up in it, and. It's a film I go back to again and again and again. It's the one really that kind of inspired me. I thought those stories are the powerful stories that, that I want to tell about uh, my heritage, our diaspora. Do you know what I mean? About about we 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 love to blend ourselves down. Like I said, this whole modern minority thing. We don't matter. We don't really. You know, we're not important when when we have this kind of incredibly traumatic history, incredibly brutalized history, incredible kind of tumultuous times and, and the journeys we've made and the sacrifice, which is true of all, all immigrant communities. I mean, there, 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 there's, there's a bit of interview after the Essex 39 incident last year where I was outside the candlelit vigil and they interviewed me on the news. And I, I, I got completely kind of, you know, and I'm getting really upset now at the, at the, at the amount of um, minority ethnic people dying, healthcare workers. I was furious this morning at Matt Angle's news saying, you know, I'm, I'm personally very upset about that. I mean, well, your party and the press that follow your party around have done so much to, to demonise mm-hmm. people, especially Muslims, do you know what I mean? It's just, just despicable, frankly, do you know what I mean? And, and I feel people of East Asian heritage are really getting it now because of the whole coronavirus thing. Oh, yeah, originally. absolutely. You know, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a real, you know, you know, is there anybody more stigmatised at the moment than, than Muslims and people of East Asian descent? I don't, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, just appalling. And yeah, so so that film basically inspired me. I think we need to put those stories on on, on stage and screen. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! That's definitely going to be on my list. I've not seen that. That's going to go on my. That's going on oh, my. Uh, yeah, I have to watch that while we're uh, we're all locked up. I'm going to take advantage of um yeah of of the time and and not commuting around. Um, 
Daniel, honestly, I've, I've had such a great time chatting to you and I could probably talk to you for another hour to be quite yeah, honest. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. Um, so what next, what next for you? I know that it's very uncertain times at the moment, but yeah. what projects are you involved with and what, 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 what's coming up in the next um, 12 to 24 months? Oh, I, I've got, I mean, there's a digital commission that's coming out soon. There's a couple I've, I've written. Um, they're not announced yet, so I'm not sure I'm supposed to be saying. Um, I'm doing a benefit performance on the 23rd called All the World's a Web or something. I used to raise money for performers, I think. Um, mm -hmm. I'm in that for 15 minutes. Everyone gets a 15 minute slot, apparently. I'm not quite sure how it works, but on Zoom. Um, I've got a couple of writing commissions that I'm working on, so hopefully they'll see the light of day. Apart from that, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it was I, I was I was out of Singapore earlier this year working. I, so I sort of escaped one lockdown and another lockdown, really. Um, and I finished up a play there, and that, that was, uh, I mean, a phenomenal success. And it did feel like the last dance for a while. I just don't know what's going to go on, how long we're going to be down for, how long our industry is going to be down for, and what sort of industry we, we, we're going to emerge back into. So so who knows? But I'll be doing stuff. And I, I think my band, Wonderman, is going to record another album. Oh, brilliant. Um, so that, that, and that, you know, that's an amazing, beautiful thing as well. So there, there'll be stuff, there'll be stuff. It's just, I don't know in what, what form. I mean, I'm the kind of person, you, you know, I can, I always feel like my survival in history as, as, a, as a marginalized person is very much about, I take the ethos of being a shark. You know, sharks have to be moving on and they literally die. I had to move from one thing and one medium to another. So, you know, if I'm acting in a big production at the Royal Shakespeare Company, that's fantastic. But if I'm doing spoken word somewhere on a microphone, I'm also, that's cool. I mean, whatever. I'm just like, as long as I've got food on the table, I can, I can tell a story. I, I'm, I'm honestly fine. No, that's brilliant. And, you know, I mean, I wish you the very best with what, what happens next. And as you said, you know, what kind of industry that you can kind of emerge, you know, you know post, post corona, or yeah. whatever you want to call it. But uh, when you do, when those digital commissions do um, see the light of day, we'd, we'd love to have you back and just to feed a talk to us about that. Yeah, all right, Chef. Great. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.